Well, good morning, everyone. And I'm glad, blessed that each one of you are here. So if you'd open your Bibles along with me, we're in Numbers uh, chapter 9, starting with verse 1. Numbers 9, starting with verse 1. And uh, Pastor Frank Jr. will be here to preach the second service, but he's going to just slip in and preach and slip out. He doesn't want anyone to uh, pick up what he has. He's, he's kind of sick, has like a real bad cold or something. And uh, so anyway, I want to mention that uh, on the 28th, we have a sign-up sheet of February. It's going, to be a, it's going to be a Friday night. We're planning on having a time where people can come and ask questions about Scripture. We can discuss it. It's not going to be me preaching, but it's going to be discussion. And um, maybe you know, we'll have it downstairs in the fellowship hall. You can bring something to share if you'd like. But we have a sign-up sheet. We need to know if anyone's interested. And so if you are please sign up out there. And um, also, um, we have the women are going to be doing their selection, right, for Secret Service, or Secret Service. (laughs) Maybe they are. For Secret Sisters uh, between services, so if you can go downstairs and, and ladies and grab a name out, that would be much appreciated. And, um, I think that's it. That's all we have. Um, Father, we come before you in Jesus' name, and we thank you for your word, and your word is so true. And it truly is a lamp unto our feet, and it's a guide to our path. And I ask, Heavenly Father, that as we break open your word this morning, that it would come to us in all of its power and all of its glory and really reveal to us things that we need to know, things that we need to learn, Because our greatest desire, Lord, is to serve you and to be your witnesses everywhere we go. And your word is such a gift. And so as we break it open together, may your Holy Spirit be present to give us understanding, I ask in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. You know, when I was working on the teaching, putting it together, I was thinking, what is the greatest sin in the world? What's the greatest sin? You know what it is? Rejecting Jesus. Because the consequences are eternal. That's the greatest sin that there is. And we have to understand that sometimes as believers, uh, we wish that we could just be in some isolated place and just do nothing but worship the Lord. It's like last night. um, Do you ever notice that there are so many things like YouTube or TV that can be used for good or for bad? You know what I mean? You can turn the TV on and you can watch bad stuff. You can turn it on and watch good stuff. And so um, Vi and I, we actually, uh, a couple years ago, we got a smart TV because we're not. And um, anyway, we got this smart TV, and you can do YouTube on it. And how awesome it was last night to just type in your favorite, you know, praise songs, your favorite hymns, and they pop up, and you can listen to them. And you're sitting there, and you're thinking, man, I I don't want to leave this place. But you know what the reality is? We have to. You know why? God called us to live. And so we have responsibilities. We have to sleep, or you're going to get really sick. You have to go to work. You won't have anything to eat. You know what I'm saying? So there are things that we've got to do in life. And when we do those things in life, it puts us in the midst of the world. But that's not a bad thing, because we're supposed to be a witness in the world. So anything we do, everywhere we go, our heart should be, How can I share Christ? And brothers and sisters, oftentimes sharing Christ isn't walking up to someone and saying, 
Are you saved? You're not. You're going to hell. You know, that's not a good way to share Christ. <clears throat> you know, the best way to share Christ is to love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your mind, with all of your soul, and with all of your strength, and people will see something. I have found that people don't care what you think unless they ask. And there are so many times that you might have those opportunities. And I'm sharing this because I think it's something that was mentioned in our prayer time before church. Sometimes I, I, I think that, that we get discouraged because we have to live life. You know, and there's so many things in this life that can pull us out of kilter or that we, you know, and we fall, right? I mean, we are human vessels, and that's the reason that we need to have our feet washed all the time, because we do fall. And so we have to understand as we dig into this portion of Scripture, we're going to be talking about the second time that they celebrated the Passover. Now, God gave the children of Israel certain holidays, certain ordinances that they were to celebrate and to follow. And the reason for every single one of them was to remind them of him, to point to him. And everything the Lord gives us is the church, whether it be communion, whether it be our worship services coming together, whether it be our personal prayer time and Bible study, it's all pointing us to him and helping us to realize who the creator is. You know, when I was sharing with you the greatest rejection, you know, the greatest sin is rejecting Christ, the thing we have to realize that once a person ceases to live and they take their last breath, their choice has been made and is solidified. Because we have to realize to be absent from the body is either to be present with the Lord or to be separated from him. And so our responsibility is to encourage people because... You know, there are so many people out there that they think, well, I don't think this life is, is it. Well, it's not. But they'll say, I think maybe we go to Narvana, or maybe we go to here, we go to this happy place. No, no, no. There's either heaven or there's hell. There are no in-between places. And people say, well, we're just a bunch of, you know, evolutionary you know, production that's been put together that gives us human life. That's all there is. No, it's not. You know, in, in the years I've been a pastor, a long, long time, I probably have, uh, have done over 100, 125, 30, I don't know, funeral services. And uh, I like to call them home-going services because most of the services I do are for believers, and they've gone home. We're the ones left behind. <laughs> and one of the things that always gets me, and, you know, maybe you might think this is a little ghoulish or whatever, but is I'll look at the, at the body lying in the casket, and I realize that's not that person. Because who we are is really immaterial. Who we are is our personality, right? You know, our, our, our faith, our love. Everything about us is, is gone when you see that dead body. There. Well, where did it go? Because our body isn't who we are. When you look... At a, at, a, at a body in a, in a casket, for instance, it's a reminder of, of the one we love, but you know that's not the person that we love. You know they're not there. And so if we are immaterial, because we're body, soul, and spirit, body is the only part that's material, soul and spirit is immaterial, then it can't die. We can't die because it's in your soulish nature and understanding that you have self-identity. In other words, you don't sit here in church 
or wherever you might be, work, and, and, and sit there and think, well, maybe some people do, but you don't normally sit there and think, who am I? Where am I? What is this? You know exactly who you are. You know yourself by name. You know why you're there. You know what you're doing. You have complete self-identity. That's never lost. You're not going to get to heaven and be like, wow, you know, I wonder who I am and who these people are. The scripture says that we'll know ourselves, self-identity, and we'll know others. You know, we're not going to get to heaven and see one another in that great chorus before the throne and say, boy, you look familiar to me. We're going to know who we are in our worship of the Lord. And so the whole point that I'm trying to get at is when you see ordinances like the Passover, it's a reminder of all that God has promised us. So in Numbers chapter 9, starting with verse 1, Now the Lord spoke to Moses in the wilderness of Sinai in the first month of the second year after they had come out of the land of Egypt. So they'd just been out of the land of Egypt two years. Because... um, or actually one year at this point, because they celebrated Passover, what, just before they left, right? day before they left. And now they're celebrating their second Passover, saying, let the children of Israel keep the Passover at its appointed time. There was a time that they were celebrated. On the 14th day of the month, at twilight, you shall keep it at its appointed time, according to all the rites and ceremonies, you shall keep it. So Moses told the children of Israel that they should keep the Passover, and they kept the Passover on the 14th day of the first month. That is the month of Nisan in the, in the Hebrew calendar. It's our March, April. And that's the reason that we have uh, that time period that we celebrate the resurrection and what people call Easter. That's the time we celebrate the resurrection because, remember, it was just before the Passover that Jesus was crucified. It was actually, believe it or not, when we get to that, we'll talk about it. It wasn't on a Friday. It was on a Wednesday he was crucified, Wednesday evening. Because he was three days and three nights in the bowels of the earth before he rose. We'll we'll talk about that again. At twilight in the wilderness of Sinai, according to all that the Lord commanded Moses. So the children of Israel did. Now listen to to this. Now there were certain men who were defiled by a human corpse. Remember we talked about that a few weeks ago? If you touched uh, a corpse, you had to go through a cleansing process and so forth. Because everything that was written in the past was symbolic of how Jesus, how we would relate to Jesus under the new covenant. And the dead, we need to move from death to life. So, So that they could not keep the Passover on that day. In other words, the specified day. And they came before Moses and Aaron that day. And those men said to him, to Moses, we became defiled by a human corpse. Why are we kept from presenting the offering of the Lord at the appointed time, this is the Passover lamb, among the children of Israel? And Moses said to them, stand still that I may hear what the Lord would command concerning you. You know, it's interesting, Moses didn't say, well, here's what I think. You know, so so often we do that. Well, here's what I think. Moses said, let me hear what the Lord says. Let me hear from the Lord what he would have us do. And this is verse 9. Then the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to the children of Israel. If any one of you or your posterity is unclean because of a corpse or is far away on a journey, he may still keep the Lord's Passover. 
on the 14th day of the second month, which would be Lyar, that's the Hebrew uh, month, and that is actually April, May in that time period, the second month. At twilight they may keep it. They shall eat with unleavened bread and bitter herbs, and they shall leave none until morning, listen to this, nor break one of its bones. Well, what's the big deal about not breaking one of its bones? That was an ordinance of God that when the Passover lamb was sacrificed, not one of its bones could be broken. Now, that should bring something to memory for all of us as believers. Remember when Jesus was dying on the cross? And then he did. He died. He gave up the ghost. And they came around because they wanted to make sure that, um, you know, all the victims on the cross were dead and would die quickly. And so they came and they broke their leg bones. Because I'm not trying to get ghoulish or anything, but the thing with crucifixion is you actually die of asphyxiation. Because when you're hanging on the cross, it stretches out your diaphragm. And so in order to breathe, you have to push up with your legs and take a breath. So when they broke their legs, they, they couldn't push up, and so they would die of, of asphyxiation. But when they came to Jesus, they said, well, he's already dead. And some of you might have wondered about this. So they um, poked a spear into his side, and it says blood and water came out. When a person dies, you actually have, um, well, I won't get into all the details. But anyway, it would cause what would be blood and water coming out. So they knew he was dead. Therefore, they didn't break his legs. And if you want to turn quickly with me... um, to John chapter 19 and go to verse 36. The Gospel of John chapter 19 and verse 36. 19:36. For these things were done that the scripture would be fulfilled, not one of his bones shall be broken. And again another scripture says, they shall look on him whom they have pierced. 22nd Psalm. Do you see how Jesus completely fulfilled the, the prophecy in the scripture? He was the Passover lamb. He was the lamb of God who came to take away the sin of the world. And therefore, he fulfilled all the law. Jesus did not come to abolish the law, scripture tells us, but to do what? But to fill it, to fulfill it. And so all the law was fulfilled in him, even being the Passover lamb, not having a bone broken. The two thieves, their bones were broken, not his. God is so in charge, it's absolutely amazing. Verse 13, but the man who is clean and is not on a journey and ceases to keep the Passover, that same person shall be cut off from among the people because he did not bring the offering uh, of the Lord at its appointed time, that man shall bear his sin. In other words, if you don't have any excuse to do what God commanded you to do, to celebrate the Passover in this case, but to do what God commanded you to do, you don't have any excuse, you're bearing your own sin. Verse 14, And if a stranger dwells among you, a non-Jew, and would keep the Lord's Passover, he must do so according to the rites of the Passover and according to its ceremony. You shall have no other ordinance, both the stranger and the native of the land. And of course, what that speaks to us is the fact that Christianity, the sacrifice of Jesus Christ, is for everybody. 
Wherever you come from, any part of the world, whatever ethnic group, whatever, it makes no difference. Anywhere, it's for Jesus. But the thing is, when we participate in Jesus Christ, we're become, we become one body. We're no longer foreigners at that point. We are one. We're part of the body of Christ. But even as foreigners coming in, we're obliged to carry out the commands of God. It's not one group of commands for another, one group of commands for this group. One of the things that, um, and I'm not trying to be bash anything or just making a point, but um, it, I, there's a term that they use in Catholicism when they evangelize different parts of the world. When they evangelize different parts of the world, they actually will bring in some of their pagan culture just to make the people comfortable. When I was in Brazil, I was there on a short-term mission trip. I was teaching at a seminary there. And um, we went into Manaus on our day off. That's the capital of Brazil. And we went into this huge Roman Catholic cathedral. And they had what we would call a bookstore, right? We went in there, and it was run by nuns. And they actually sold potions and all different things for doing witchcraft. It was like, wow, absolutely amazing. And it's just like at, at different holidays and birthdays, they would bring gifts to the grave, and they'd be sitting all around the graves there. But for you and I as believers, there's not one set of rules for this group and one set of rules for that group. As we become Christians, we're all obliged to the Word of God and to His ordinances. You can't celebrate Christianity this way or that way. And that's one of the reasons we have to be so careful with so many of these movements that come through the church. They're not of God. Some of you, well, some of you might not, but I used to... Anyway, like there was a movement that came through the church some years ago called Holy Laughter. I don't know if you've heard of it. And what it is, is the pastor would be up there speaking, then all of a sudden someone in the church would start laughing, then another person would start laughing, and then the whole church would be on the ground rolling and laughing. And the pastor would say, well, I guess the Holy Spirit's here. Well, you know what? That's not of God. The very purpose and reason we come to church according to the Word of God is to study the Word of God together. That's the reason we come together. And so we have to realize there's no different set of rules for this group or for that group. It's the same for all of us. Now, <clears throat> we know that Passover was not to be a one-time celebration, but it was to be a celebration each year to remind the children of Israel of what Yahweh, what the Lord had done for them. The Passover reminded the Jews of God's redemptive power to bring them from death to life, to bring them from slavery to freedom. And so even in the wilderness, they were to remember what God had done for, for them. And, you know, in a spiritual way for you and I as believers, we're in the wilderness. We're in the wilderness of this world, of this life. And I think so often we realize it is a wilderness. This is not our home country. This is a wilderness. And we have to remember that God has brought us from death to life. He's brought us from slavery to freedom. Before we were born again, before we committed our lives to Jesus Christ, you and I were slaves to sin in this world. I'm not saying we never fall to sin, but we're not slaves to it any longer. We've been set free through Jesus Christ. 
And so we have to remember that. Well, what are the ordinances that we have to remember? Well, we have communion. You know, Jesus said, as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, do it in remembrance of me. Remembrance of all I've done for you. I brought you from death to life. I brought you from slavery to freedom. We have the word of God. Study to show yourself approved. Workmen correctly handling the word of truth. Needing not be ashamed. Study the word. It's, it's there every day. You can just open it anytime you want. Fellowship. Coming to church. Do not forsake the gathering of yourself together. Some have grown in the custom of doing, doing. And all the more as you see that day approaching. And the purpose is to encourage one another in the Lord. So God has given us things as well. In order to be a constant reminder, we have been freed from the slavery of this world and of our own flesh, and we have been brought into the wondrous kingdom of his light. We're free. We're free indeed, Scripture tells us, in Christ Jesus. You know, um, communion, I think, is probably one of the most beautiful things that we share together because it's such a reminder of everything that we were sinners and Jesus died to free us from sin. It reminds us that Jesus not only said that he would share the communion with us, with his disciples in this, in this world, but we're to celebrate it as a remembrance of what he's done. Then he even gives a greater promise. He's going to celebrate communion with us in heaven. Can you imagine that? And... Um, let me share with you what Jesus was saying to his disciples in Matthew, if you take notes, chapter 26 and verse 29, 26, 29 of Matthew. And Jesus said, I tell you, I will not drink this fruit of the vine. He was doing communion with them. Uh, from now on until that day when I drink it anew with you in my Father's kingdom. Whoa! I mean, do you realize that there is going to be a day and, and I think sooner than we might think with everything that's going on, there's going to be a day that Jesus Christ is going to call us out of this world. You know, the paraclete, the rapture, the, the raptos. And that means to, it actually means to harpoon. So in other words, we're not going to be standing around and the trumpet sounds and we're thinking, I don't know, maybe I want to go right now, maybe I don't. When that trumpet sounds, bam, you're gone. The Lord's going to take you up to meet him in the air. And then, when we meet him in the air, whenever, when the whole family's together, he's taking us to heaven. And guess who's going to be leading communion? It's not going to be me. It's not going to be Billy Graham. It's not going to be David. You know, it's not going to be Paul. It's not going to be Peter. It's not going to be anyone but Jesus Christ. And I can't even imagine... We're sitting there. I don't know how it's going to be. And those wounded hands, because remember John said, I saw a lamb as if it had been slaughtered. So he's still going to carry the marks of his love for us. And those hands are going to administer communion to each one of us personally. Wow. That's absolutely amazing to me. You know, our God is so wonderful, loving, and compassionate that um, he makes provision for our wrong. It's called confession and repentance. It would be wonderful, wouldn't it be, if when you're born again, saved, filled with the Holy Spirit, that all of a sudden 
you, you, you'd never committed an, another sin. Wouldn't that be great? But I guarantee you, you have, and you do, and you will. And that's why the gift of confession and repentance is so wonderful. You know my favorite verse, 1 John 1, 9, because I need it the most. If we confess our sin, he's faithful and just to forgive us and purify us from all unrighteousness. But there's a conditional conjunction. If we need to confess our sin. The thing we have to understand, oftentimes pride prevents us from confessing our sins. And oftentimes pride prevents us from seeing our sin. Well, this really isn't sin. Why are we saying that? Because we want to keep doing it. Well, I think the Lord understands this. No, according to the word of God, we have to understand it's either sin or it's not sin. You know, years ago, you, you, have, you guys have no idea who I was talking about. And there was a man who um, came to our church and, and uh, was a, he was someone who was delivered from heroin. And he came to church and really... Uh, got on fire for the Lord. And I hadn't seen him for a few years, and he said to me, he said, you know, Pastor Frank, he said, here's what the Lord's showing me. If I stay clean all week, and I work hard all week, then it's okay if I use on the weekend. He was making excuses for his sin. Do you know what? Let's be honest. Our flesh likes to sin. You know, this is uh, Super Bowl Sunday, you know, which I like watching the game. It's fun. But when we think of Super Bowl Sunday, at least for me, I'm not thinking of, of the 49ers and the Chiefs playing because neither one of them are my team. I don't care who wins. But you know what I think of is the taco dip and the wings <laughs> and the, the ice cream and all. You know what I mean? All those kinds of things. Well, that's purely flesh. So in our flesh, we desire... And understand, not all those things are wrong. God has given us everything for what? Our pleasure. But the interesting thing is, you can take something that's good and turn it into sin. You know what I'm saying? Like I said with uh, YouTube, we can, you can get on there and watch hymns and, and you know, your favorite Christian artist sing. Or you can watch other vile stuff. There it is. God has given us everything for our good pleasure, but we have to understand and be able to distinguish between the profane and the righteous. You know, there's nothing wrong with me having taco dip and, and uh, um, you know, all the wings and all the wonderful things that come with Super Bowl Sunday. But if I'm sitting here on the couch and I'm going... <laughs> by the end of the day, that's probably went a little bit too far, and which I probably will, so I'm already confessing of it, <laughs> because he does forgive us. It's a wonderful thing to know we are judged under grace, not the law. Therefore, if a man is found unclean through no fault of his own, the Lord provides another day to celebrate. And if you felt the sin yesterday, you've got a new day. His mercies are new how often? Every morning. You've got a new day. You know, it's so easy because it's Satan. Satan loves to remind us of how unworthy we are, doesn't he? Well, look at how you were yesterday. Look at the things you did. You're not worthy. You're, you're, you're not worthy to be a Christian. Yeah, I know I'm not. 
And Lord, I confess and I repent of my sin. Forgive me, Jesus. Let me have a new day with you. Now, we have to understand, too, though, grace is never an excuse for sin. But it's another chance to overcome sin. Because some people, I mean, it's hard for us to understand, but there are some people who believe, well, I can go and do this and I can go and do that because I'm under grace. Well, you don't understand grace. Grace is not pre-excuse for you to go and do whatever you want. Grace is confession and repentance when you did what you shouldn't be doing. It gives you another chance. And that's what I love about grace. You know, there are things that we deal with in life over and over again. And I know I've shared this with you so many times, but um, I used to smoke two packs of cigarettes a day. And it was one of those weird things. I didn't start smoking until I got out of the Army. That's kind of weird. I I smoked for nine years. And um, after we got saved, I knew I shouldn't be smoking because it's not good for the body. And I used to tell people jokingly, it's easy to quit smoking. I quit every Monday. And that was the truth. Every Monday, I'm not going to smoke again. And then by Wednesday or so. (laughs) But there was one day, there was that one time that I spoke to the Lord and I heard the Lord's voice to me too. And I said, I'm never going to smoke again. And I didn't. But I tried over and over and over. I mean, can you imagine what a horrible parent you'd be if you wanted to teach your, your child to hit a baseball and you threw the ball to them, and they swung and missed, and they said, you are out, you're no good, I'm never going to work with you again, get out of here, take your bat and ball and go in the house, I'm done with you. You would say, what a horrible parent. But what does the parent say? Okay, let's do it again. No, swing a little higher. No, have a better stance. No, make sure your bat is even. And then finally the little kid goes, pop. And hits the ball, and the smile comes on the boy's face or the girl's face, and they're so happy, I hit the ball. They run to first base. Because you were patient with them. They kept swinging. They kept trying. They listened to your instructions, and finally, pop, they hit the ball. That's how God's grace is with us. He's saying, come on, you can do it. You can overcome this sin. Swing and miss. You can overcome swing and miss. And the Lord says, look at my word here. Listen to my instructions there. Do this and do that. And then finally, pop, we hit the ball. And we have victory over an area of sin in our life. That's the God we serve. So grace is for the purpose of having victory, not an excuse to sin. Understand that. So we have to understand, if we refuse to repent, we're going to receive the consequences of our sin. For instance, with the dead body, it's one thing to have come in contact with the dead body, but you don't hang around with the dead body in relationship to sin for us. In Acts chapter 26, verse 18, Acts 26, 18, it says this, Open their eyes in order to turn them from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God, that they may receive forgiveness of sins and inheritance among those who are sanctified by faith in me. What an amazing verse of Scripture. The important point was and is those who are unclean 
didn't try to hide their sin. They came to Moses and said, we're unclean. The Lord knows anyway, doesn't he? He knows everything. And so the most important thing we can do is set aside our pride and say, Lord, I'm unclean. I mean, how hard is it sometimes to admit sin? Someone you love, someone you know, maybe a good friend, spouse, family member, you know, whatever, says, you know, I don't think that's right. Well, yeah, it is. It's okay for me. It's pride. To be able to say, yeah, you know what? You're right. That's wrong. I was wrong. And it's a weakness we all deal with because we can't hide our sin from the Lord. In Numbers, we'll be getting to this in probably a couple months, uh, Numbers thirty-two twenty-three. it says, but if you do not do so, it's talking about confessing and repentance, then take note, you have sinned against the Lord, listen to this, and be sure your sin will find you out. It's always better to confess than to be caught in a lie. It really is. And notice, Moses did not make the decision on his own, but he went to the Lord for the Lord to give him the answer. And um, he was, in a sense, a mediator between the people and God. And we have to realize that for you and I, we have a mediator. There's one mediator between God and man, the man who? Christ Jesus. We have a mediator. Jesus Christ. And so we can go to him and say, Lord, speak to us. Lord, show us. Well, how do we speak to the Lord and how does the Lord speak to us? Prayer and the word. I know he speaks in other ways as well. Sometimes he speaks to our heart. But the primary way the Lord speaks to us is through his word. You know, you go to the Lord in prayer and you say, Lord, here I am, sinner. I'm dealing with this, Lord. I'm dealing with that. God, help me with this. And we take all of our burdens to him, you know, all of our griefs to him. In prayer. And then he answers us. Sometimes literally in our heart he answers us. And so often as we read his word, he answers us and speaks to us. You know, it's such an amazing thing. Um, some of the old hymns have a history behind it that uh, you know, many of us uh, uh, don't even know about. And um, I want to share with you uh, a hymn. And uh, uh, just what a, what a beautiful um, in um, uh, Port Hope, Ontario, Canada, and this is back in the late 1800s, uh, a couple of businessmen were standing on a street corner, and they saw this little guy walking by with a saw in his hand, smile on his face, and he was humming hymns, you know, as he walked by. And the one wealthy man said to the other, he said, well, he said, that man sure seems to be happy in his work, what he's called to do. He said, I think I'll have him come and, and, and cut firewood for me for the winter. And the other man said, well, I know that man, and he will not cut your firewood. He only cuts firewood for the destitute and those that are absolutely inflicted with paralysis or some kind of handicap where they can't do it themselves. Those are the only people he cuts wood for. Well, that man was Joseph Scriven. And a lot of people don't understand, don't know the story of Joseph Scriven, so I'm going to share it with you. Um, <clears throat> Joseph Scriven was the son um, 
of a captain in the British Royal Marines. That would be a full colonel in our ranking. His father was not only a high-ranking officer in the Royal Marines, but his father was a wealthy man. He came from a very well-to-do family. And Joseph was born in Ireland in 1819, Joseph Scriven. And after receiving his university degree from Trinity College in London, he quickly established himself as a teacher, as a professor. And he fell in love and he made plans uh, plans to settle in his hometown. And then uh, he fell in love with this woman. And they were madly in love. And they made plans to settle right there in his hometown where he could keep teaching. Then tragedy struck. The day before his scheduled wedding, his fiancée drowned. And overcome with grief, Scriven left Ireland uh, to start a new life in Canada. And he established uh, a home in Rice Lake where he met and fell in love with Elsa Rice. Her parents were the ones, grandparents were the ones that settled that, that community. Just weeks before she was to become Joseph Scriven's bride, she suddenly grew sick in a matter of weeks, and Elsa died. A shattered Scriven turned to the only thing that had anchored him during his life, his faith, through prayer and Bible study, he found not just solace, but he found a mission. The 25-year-old Scriven took a vow of poverty, sold all of his earthly possessions. He was part of the Plymouth Brethren. They were a, a, a very fundamental Bible-believing church, and vowed to give his life to the physically handicapped and financially destitute. Ten years later, Scriven received war- word that his mother had become very ill. And the man who had taken a vow of poverty did not have the funds to go home to help care for his mother. So heartsick and feeling a need to reach out to her, he wrote to her a poem. And um, this poem that he wrote was so moving that some of his friends took it to a publisher and it became popular um, 20 years later with D.L. Moody. He used that. That was basically the, the theme hymn that um, he sang at all of his um, revival meetings. And um, the, the sad thing is that Joseph Scriven uh, never actually saw his hymn become popular because he drowned in a lake in Canada. And so you think about this and you say, wow, there's a man who really had a life filled with tragedy. He fell in love with two women. Both died before the wedding. He never married. Loved his mother. His father had died when he was much younger. And he wasn't able to go and care for her, and she died. So then he wrote this, you know, from his heart to his mother. And uh, he never got to see the popularity of it. D.L. Moody used it in all his revival meetings. Well, this is what Joseph Scriven wrote. What a friend we have in Jesus. All our sins and griefs to bear. And what a privilege to carry everything, everything to God in prayer. Oh, what peace we often forfeit. Oh, what needless pain we bear. All because we do not carry everything to God in prayer. Have we trials and temptations? Is there trouble anywhere? We should never be discouraged. Take it to the Lord in prayer. Can we find a friend so faithful who will all our sorrows share? 
Jesus knows our every weakness. Take it to the Lord in prayer. So often life is so troubling and difficult, but the peace that we can find is taking it to the Lord in prayer. And how much needless pain do we bear because we don't take it to the Lord in prayer, just as the song says. As King David wrote in Psalm 138 and verse 2, you have magnified your word above all your name. He's given us his word. His word, his word, how amazing. And then in Proverbs 3, 6, it says, in all your ways acknowledge him and he shall direct your paths. If we go to the Lord, if we go to his word, he can direct our paths. He can, he's just so awesome. And in verse 14 of this portion, we find that even strangers were encouraged to believe and to celebrate the Lord's table. Likewise, there is no one cut out, no one who's cut out from the free gift of salvation through Jesus Christ. No one. That's why we should share our faith with everyone. You know, um, in our community, you come across people that are obviously Islam. You know, they wear the burqas and things like that. Everyone deserves to hear the message of salvation. Anyone can be saved. So we should never allow our heart to stand away from anyone. And um, in Acts chapter 221, it says, And everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Anyone. Anyone. You might be the instrument of salvation for countless numbers of people you might not even know about. Maybe your testimony has already led people to the Lord, and you don't even know about it. What a friend we have in Jesus. Be in prayer, brothers and sisters. Be in the Word and be led by God and walk by grace. Walk by faith, not by sight. Father, we come before you in Jesus' name and how thankful we are. So very thankful, Lord, for your love and for your word. And I pray that we would take to heart everything that we looked at this morning and use it to help us become more like you. Now, Father, we ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. God bless you, my brothers and sisters.